0: Shell, Michael, I'm not sure what you go by. You're up, sir.
1: Yeah, hi. Uh, you can say uh, Michael. <laughs> I guess that's fine. Um, oh, Axel is not here now again. No, I think because I came mm. up
2: and he's going to repromote me to co-host. He he uh, got mm. the drop. I'm so sorry. You missed him again by seconds.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I wanted to um, say, you know, that the previous speaker talked about... Uh, uh if we deliver everything that ukraine wants uh, they're going to be the like too large army or something like that and that there are other countries uh also going to uh, want to fill up their stockpiles um but uh i don't know if that's the official american position or NATO position but uh i I think uh, uh ukraine is the country currently at war and um not Poland or uh, any other country. So uh, I think, uh, of course, uh, uh, delivering 2,000 artillery artillery systems uh, would be uh, an insane amount of uh, 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 systems. But um, yeah, we shouldn't forget that Ukraine is the country at war currently and uh, everything else is just uh, nice to have, right, (laughs) to restock uh, other armies.
0: Yeah, absolutely, right? What? It's a whole lot more important to actually uh, buy the weapons when you need them than uh, uh, talk about the weapons when uh, you don't. So uh, yeah, I think I think we we're all with you, and that's a very salient point. That sadly, I don't know if it's being made enough. Um, and yeah, appreciate you coming up, Tom, Mrs. B, Dryfly. Um,
3: I hundred percent, I hundred percent agree with that. The key is that the lead times are so long that if Poland needs it in 6 months from now they're going to have to they they can't make them then so i mean the capacity ha- there there has to be some inventorying of of these materials the ability to pass through to ukraine now is contingent on western manufacturing being able to backfill those inventories so they're coupled those are coupled issues they're not they're not either or they're both and that's the other thing that Washington needs to realize, and they need to pony up the money. Washington, London, you know, you know, Berlin, Paris, everybody needs to pony up the money now, okay, to be able to, um, to do that. Um, someone else was, uh, talking about the requirements for, um, uh, for munitions going out into the future. I agree. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did a quick look was to see, are there any Western industries? who could make Soviet-style non-NATO weapon systems? And it turns out there actually are some. Um, one of them is a division of Grumman. Uh, the Allied Tech Group makes uh, non-NATO weapon systems for third parties. I would bet money that group is looking real hard, along with, say, the Romanians and some of the other uh, uh, ex-Soviet bloc countries, to find out if they can't put together packages i don't know that for a fact but i would bet money on it and it's another thing that the osic people ought to be watching for news on because it'll tell us something about what's coming down the pipe six months three months two months maybe sooner just a, something to watch anyway love listening to you guys
4: yeah if i could ask a, a follow-up to dry fly because i didn't see any hands raised um on the procurement, because obviously, if, if people have got to make large investments, like capital expenditure investments uh to, like, you know, create new plants, tool them up, as as well as all the hiring and training of all those guys uh to make them. Um, for something like, say, the Javelin, for example, is that something that, like, U.S. companies are legally allowed to sell overseas to allies? Because I dare say there's a lot of at the moment. Uh, Go ahead, Tom.
2: So, Tom, the way it works is you have to get an export permit from the government. This is kind of irrespective of what country it's from, right? But if you're a a defense manufacturer in the U.S., you need to get an export permit from the U.S. government. So if if you're selling it to the U.K., and it's something that isn't super top secret, then, you know, they, they kind of glance at it and they're like, yep, sure, here's a signature, right? And then if you're selling it to, I don't know, pick a pick a country that's not very closely aligned with the US, then they're going to have a longer look, right? Um, and that works for basically every country. Uh, some countries are very unscrupulous when it comes to arms sales. Um, that's how you end up with arms in the possession of, you know, random warlords around the world sometimes. Um, it's not always the black market sometimes it's actually governments allowing it, allowing it to happen. Or we're specifically talking about the current situation because currently the US government probably wouldn't allow the sale of javelin somewhere where it wasn't particularly
4: necessary because
2: it has better uses for them.
4: Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I guess where I was going with that is more-
3: oh, but, Can yeah. I add a little- bit of that Oh too, yeah, or go or ahead,
4: or... Dryfly. go ahead.
3: Actually two factors. One is the export license just for the weapon system and that is to keep it out of bad guy fans. Absolutely that happens. The other side is ITAR. Now, that's uh, protecting intellectual property related to especially uh, defense and security issues. But I think it can even be broader than that, but especially uh, targeted toward defense. So I would guess that something like the javelin would be wrapped up in both. You need to have both know that the people who are buying it, that you have a license and government approval to sell to them because they're not bad people. And secondly, that you protect the technology. That's the ITAR. I think some of the reason stuff hasn't gone to Ukraine as quickly is because the technology um, protection part of it isn't necessarily as robust. It's not that the Ukrainians are going to sell it. It's that it just hasn't gone through that rigorous analysis, and the risk is deemed to be higher than the reward. Now, on the non-NATO product like Alliance makes, um, they have more leeway to sell that product to other companies, countries, only because um, frequently the, the it's it's so mature. The ITAR requirements are not are not important are not are not in effect. So there, it just you know if you're going to sell the the munitions to Colombia, you just got to make sure that it doesn't end up you know in the park group. You know if you're going to sell it to someone else in the world is not going to end up, you know, in a cartel or in, a, um, you know, being transferred to Iran or something. So in the case of the weapon systems that would be going to Iran for the Soviet era munitions, I would think that some of these Western companies could ramp up for that if they get the orders. The question is, can they ramp up sufficiently to meet Ukrainian demand, which is very, very high, without, again, capital investment. So that will be the thing to watch. But I I didn't even realize that uh, some of these U.S. military companies even had the capability to manufacture some of that product. It appears they do, probably in low volume, but I would watch that space because if this war lingers on, I think you're going to see that industry ramp up as well.
4: Yeah, so that, that was really why I was asking about this was because, you know, obviously there are some countries you don't want to sell weapons to, but there are obviously a number of allies that presumably could get these export licenses and you wouldn't need to worry about the uh, intellectual property. So, you know, the UK manufactures end which have proven great system, but, you know, javelins got twice the range. If the UK wanted to buy a certain number of javelins, they could presumably get a contract, get an export license, et cetera. I guess what I'm curious is is if Lockheed or Raytheon or whomever's involved in producing these things, uh, you know, with the agreement of the, you know, US Department of Defense, et cetera, basically said, okay, we're going to make a whole bunch of javelins, like who wants them? Um, I would imagine there'd be quite a lot of militaries, a lot of NATO militaries in particular, that would think, well, I could spend $4 million on a tank or I can spend 200,000 on a javelin. And, you know, if they were to do that and they had a certain number of orders projected forwards, you know, they can then go to a bank and get the money to invest to build the plants and the tooling and hire the government. Those, that- contracts- totally those,
3: contracts- those contracts would have to be ironclad. And the companies who manufacture the parts, <clears throat> like the people who make the javelin or, or some of the other systems, I can guarantee you they would have to feel confident they could go into court and get those payments relatively quickly if they renege, because governments do renege. The alternative is for them to write a check up front for the capacity and um, to have four or five comp- countries go together, it, it, it makes it harder for that company to make a hard and fast, large investment. What they will do is add shifts and debottleneck. bottleneck And if you wanna know what I mean by debottlenecking. It means if you have a, a, a production line that has 20 steps in it and overall that production line could produce 2,000 javelins, one step is the one that's holding it back. If we double that one step, we can go to 4,000 without doing major increases to the others. They will do that in a heartbeat. Okay. Then all they have to do is higher up for the other, the, the variable cost inputs for the other side. But usually there's a bottleneck or two that are really critical. That constrains the whole thing. And there's a whole uh, series of management thought on that called theory of constraints. You find that bottleneck and you put the capital in there, then all of a sudden you set it at a whole new plateau, okay? They will not invest in that if it's really huge money uh, unless they have firm contracts. If it's not huge money, then they absolutely will without having really, really firm contracts. My expectation is just from reading the news is that the javelins that magic number is 2,000. Raytheon will go to go go to 4,000. You know, from 2,000 to 4,000, they'll double it uh, without a huge uh, additional investment. To do more than that and to do it faster will require a lot, lot more money. And I'm guessing that number hasn't even been put out yet because it's going to be kind of eye popping. So it's those are the things to watch for when you're when you're doing when you're trying to analyze. What's going on? And, I, and I've been watching this, even though I'm no longer in that business. I'm trying to think like I was back in that business, back in that business, trying to think about what we would be doing, what the companies I worked with would be doing. I'm guessing that's going to be the real criteria. Will the capital be put in place to step it up? Or will we just try to de bottleneck sufficiently to tweak out more production, which may be enough given the inventories we have? I don't know. But that would be what I would watch.
4: Yeah. So having having understood what you've said, I guess what I'm wondering is, is if like a small coalition of like trustworthy NATO countries that you could be pretty sure would not renege on a contract and.
3: Pretty pretty sure it's a good way to get your company bankrupt. If you're a small manufacturer, you don't (laughs) go with good. You know, you go with show me the money. And and these guys have been screwed way too many times to go with, you know, pretty good. And by the way, the government knows this, and the purchasing lady who who uh, from the U.K. who was in, Mrs. B. or whoever it was, she will testify having dealt with small companies. They would love to work with you. They would take the order in a minute. But there's going to be a fixed cost commitment on the part of the company. It may not even be at the 100%. It may be a, a large enough down payment. That the company feels safe that they won't go out of business if they get renamed on.
4: Right. So, then in that case, suppose you had a small coalition of countries that said, we will pay 50% upfront or we will pay 65% upfront. And those countries were, say, I don't know, United Kingdom, Poland, uh, Finland, maybe some of the Baltic states. If, supposing a group of countries did something like that, and gave enough money up front that uh, Lockheed Martin could spend that capital expenditure and could increase their production. Would they then be able to uh, would that help so that Ukraine could get more of these weapons in the short term and in the medium term those countries would get the the weapons that they're paying for is that the uh, of-
3: i think that, I think that's reasonable, but the guys you'd have to talk to at that point are the people who are actually handling the or who have information on the actual warehouses in Europe. And what, because there is still going to be a lag time. Okay. The question is, how fast do you accelerate that process? Anyone who's done project management knows there's three legs of any major project. There's the scope of the project, meaning what you're asking the people to do, the budget, and the schedule. If you want to really improve any one of those three, Know, expand the scope, make more, make better, or speed it up, or or uh, uh, in, you know cut the cost. You have to give on the other side. If you want to really shorten the schedule and increase uh, the scope, meaning the number or the uh, capability of the of the project, you're going to blow up the budget big time. And a lot of that blow-up is going to be fixed. It's not just going to be variable. It's not going to be per unit. There's going to be a huge upfront cost before the first parts even come off the line. And so these governments will have to coordinate. They'll have to probably find a leader. The leader will probably have to be the U.S. and U.K. But if that's done, yeah, I have confidence that they could really step it up. They could backfill Poland. They could backfill uh, Slovakia, the, the Baltics, all of them. I mean, they could backfill Germany. If Germany opened, the po- opened their wallet and started buying product, they could do it. Or they could open their wallet and build the capacity themselves. They've got a hell of a weapons industry. But it requires governments deciding to spend the money at a time when there's already enormous inflationary pressures. And that will add to inflationary pressures. So you're, you can see that this whole issue is not as simple as just Get the weapons. There's a lot of moving pieces. I'm optimistic it can all be done, but I'm. it's why I keep telling everybody on this uh, forum and on others, the key is write your congressman, tell them that you personally have a stomach for those tough decisions, and you have, they have your blessing as a voter to make those tough decisions. we don't do that, those decisions won't be made, because the people who don't like it are definitely calling and complaining. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, I'll go to Mrs. B because she's just called out uh, and has a really cool new avatar, and then to Mark. <laughs> thank you,
5: thank you, thank you, Domén. Yes, I think to to the point that Drafra was just making is also those small companies, They are petrified of anything going wrong because you're going to get hammered with so much liability insurance from the government that they, they they they'll sink you if you can't if they can't get to anything. Uh, sort of like which is really concrete I mean I work for a company they were so terrified if they had an order for in 12 month time they were ordering all their stock ready for that order uh, just in case we uh, they change their mind and we don't have the money, or we've got all these kind of things sorted, and then halfway through the year they got sold, and they had to unpick eighteen months worth of advance orders just for the sake of being able to do to 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 go through the transaction of a company being sold. I think I've, I mean in the commercial world, I've seen some companies where you know you you really feel for the supplier. He tells you that I've got no choice. That except use uh, the company the group squeezing me out of everything because I have got no choice and they, they like sort of sort of like sort of um sort of a hurricane those companies and they really squeeze off the comp and I don't know how it is really sort of in the US but in the UK and then certainly in France as well when there is a majority of SME. The, you can't it's like when they say and what's your project manager well that's me i do project management on the tuesday afternoon because i've done purchasing on the tuesday morning and and they arrive with such a kind of a structure and they arrive like sort of a like a jcb on a on, in a little company and c- little companies cannot cope with that they can't cope with the resource cdc in kind of a, my line of work on a day and day out basis
2: thank you mrs b um I think it's really interesting trying to apply all of these more normal industries, quote unquote normal civilian industries, uh, experiences onto the, the defense industry. And of course, it makes sense, right? Because every industry fundamentally is really going to work the same at that level. But I, I just find it really amusing uh, for no good reason whatsoever. Um, Mark?
6: Yes. Hi. Thank you, Domen. And, and all, as always, nice job in mo- moderating a, a very informative conversation. Uh, just as a side, I read this morning that Slovenia was uh, sending over a Yeah, bunch of, uh, yeah, three tiers of Slovenia.
2: There's, it's a little bit more subtle than that, and I, I don't want to go into it because stuff isn't um, hasn't been clarified publicly. Okay. Um, but if sending this means the M84s aren't getting sent, I am just dis- dis- decidedly displeased.
6: Yeah, well, let's hope. Um don't so, I actually...
2: so do, do you mind if I, actually do you mind if I clarify? I feel like I kind of no,
6: have to no, not at now. all. Please. So, in the forty
2: in 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 April, in the forties, two months ago, in mid-April, Slovenia was discussing a, ring, a ringtauch, a ringtausch, a a ring exchange with Germany, whereby Slovenia would send fifty M eighty four tanks, which are highly upgraded. They are basically a derivative of the T seventy two, but just about as. Uh, as highly upgraded as any um, to to Ukraine and Germany would send some leopards to Slovenia in exchange um, but there has been no news of that and I'm kind of frustrated about it because I would really like seeing to, to see those 50 tanks in main battle tanks, possibly the best Ukraine would currently have in the battlefield but there haven't been any so instead what they're sending now are thirty-five basically BMP ones, slightly better than regular old BMP ones, which are awful death traps, really. So instead of so it seems like instead of sending fifty of you know, pretty good as good as um broadly speaking Eastern Bloc main battle tanks exist, main battle tanks, instead they're sending thirty-five death trap ivs seems so it's not clear but there has been no word on the m84s and nobody spotted them in the battlefield so i'm kind of eh, you know not very happy about that mike please continue
6: yeah that's a little disappointing i had two questions one in regards to air force and aviation and another one maybe for a finance or anyone else in regards to the russian economy um as far as the air force is concerned i was wondering if anybody knew plans for the f35 to replace the f f sixteen fighters and if that is what the plan is whether looking into the future i know there's all kinds of fraught political issues in regards to, to supplying warplanes to to um ukraine but uh again if in fact the f f35 is slated to replace the f16s can f can f16s be given to Ukraine at kind of bargain basement uh, prices. So
2: um, somebody else, please come speak to this. Somebody who knows stuff about warplanes. But what I would say is that there aren't, uh, not all F-16 are created equal. The more modern versions of F-16 are way, way better than the old versions of of F-16s. And F-16s aren't really going anywhere for quite a while because there's lots of relatively new ones still about. So uh, you're going to see F-16s flying in the friendly skies for, for quite some time still. Um, so there's, it's not like, oh, we're getting rid of F-16s ASAP soon. So no, no, no. There's, there's way too many around to replace them quickly with F-35s anyway. The F-35 production is simply too slow to you know, replace all F-16s that are currently in service in a matter of years. Um, however, that doesn't mean that Ukraine should be getting training on F-16s and then get some F-16s to fly because that would be really good. It definitely okay. makes
6: sense. Yes, it makes all the sense in the world. Thank you, Doman. In regards to the Russian economy, I don't know if, if finance is on, but uh, has anybody heard anything recently in the past week or so that may illustrate more cracks happening in the in the Russian economy from sanctions or or lack of money or otherwise? Define more cracks. Well, I mean their ability to. Um, maybe in two regards first of all the war making equipment abilities being a crack and and number two just the general overall economy being able to meet its consumer
0: demand so currently russia has a high rate of internal inflation and but they are able to keep shelves stocked as of at least a week or two ago i talked to a reporter on this who has contacts in provinces in Russia because that's where you want to check first. And he said, yes, they are seeing uh, basically what they're seeing mirrors what you see on the YouTube channel inside Russia. Uh, It's not a pro-Russian channel per se, but it it just sort of shows you what's going on. The guy has a video where he's just going into a I believe he's Romanian and he's going into a supermarket uh, inside Russia and just discussing how, yes, they have stuff, but it's not the best quality. Uh, and the prices are are much higher than they are in Romania, which is clearly a nearby country with similar um, economic pressures as far as that goes. So uh, definitely not great. Um, the other major movement as far as Russian economics go is they are able to there really aren't discounts so much anymore as the Chinese have uh, through various oil firms stepped up their buying of Russian oil. Uh, by over 50%, it seems. Whether that's volume or price, I can't tell, but the price didn't move up enough that it's going to make the difference. So basically, uh, they're brothers in genocide. The Chinese have said, we like genocide, we like blood money, and they're buying up huge amounts of Russian oil right now. So that big discount of $30 that uh, the Russians had been having to take on Ural contract oil, Uh, That seems to have disappeared. So that's one of the big news there. That said, tank factory is still closed. Auto prices of auto parts or the ability to fix machinery is still high, if you can do it at all. And, you know, sure, some of these industrial accidents might be partisan activity, especially the stuff nearer to the line that has military application. But as you move further from the front, as you get further away from direct military application, I think stuff's lighting on fire in Russia because they don't care that much about safety in the first place. And now that they don't have the best possible, um, you know, equipment and supplies and everything that they can buy from the West, they're just telling their people, hey, keep it running. And if you do that in an environment of no workplace safety and improper controls, you're going to light a factory on fire. You're going to blow stuff up. Like, that's, that's sort of what I'd be seeing. So I think that you are seeing it. It's not particularly getting better. Their economy is still heading for a recession. Um, they, the, how bad it's going to be is oscillate. was originally 10% down. So that's the Great Recession bad in the U.S. It's still really bad. That was the original estimates when the war started. Uh, now the estimates are between 15% to 30% down within a year. That's horrifically bad. That's Great Depression breadlines bad. The Russian Central Bank, So the Russian Ministry of Finance under Navaluna, who is uh, considered technocratically competent um, and is surprisingly open when they speak in technical language. So they are not when they're talking. A general thing that happens in finance is the more clear a senior person in finance speaks, the more likely they are lying for political or marketing purposes. The more technical the report is, the more likely they are telling the truth. This is true for Goldman Sachs. It's true for as much as it's true for, for uh, the Russian Minister of Finance. But they're pretty clear in the reports that they're currently forecasting a 17% negative projection. So I would say that between 17%, we'll call that the conservative estimate down, and 30%, the Goldman Sachs estimate, is the current range of expectations for how bad this year is going to get in Russia. In other words, horrifically, wildly bad. There's a lot of signs that any part of their industry that isn't based around oil or the war is really suffering. That wasn't a big part of their economy to begin with, but it just got worse. Um, so, yeah. So the Russian economy, it's not doing well. It is not doing as poorly as, as it could be doing, but it's, it's a sick man. It's having a lot of issues. Uh, for sure, this war is not a profit-maximizing enterprise. My response to all of the geopolitical analyses that suggest that Putin is doing this to enrich Russia, this war is making Russia so clearly and obviously poorer that like, this is bad on a business analytical perspective. Uh, and that, that is still holding itself to be true. As the war drags on, it is continuing to do more damage to the Russian economy. And the kind of damage it's doing will not be as easily reversed as some people might think. So some of this damage is going to be long-term Productive capacity decreases, especially some of the destruction of their oil sector. So that's what we're looking at there. Uh, I believe the speakers go MP, anti, then blue.
7: Okay, thanks. How is my mic, by the way? I'm outside.
0: Loud and much. clear.
7: Okay, super. Hey, I want to go back to numbers. You know, we were discussing about the artillery piece. And <clears throat> there was a moment that 2,000, you know, artillery pieces for Ukraine is too much and i just want to state the numbers once again what what kind of beast the ukraine is facing so these numbers are, are from actually 24th of uh february so these are russian numbers so remember there was 200 around 200 uh tactical sorry battalion tactical it means there were 200 soldiers they have 200 uh, attack helicopters. They had 2,000 artillery pieces. This includes mortar systems, rocket systems, and you know all kind of artillery pieces. They had 1,600, you know, main battle tanks. They had 3,000 APCs. They had 600 fighter fighter air and I won't go to naval pieces right now, but. Remember, you know, these are the numbers. This is the attacking force which might have been now degraded by 20 or 30%. So, 3,000 Ardenner pieces against this kind of beast, which is now constantly being, uh, you know, renewed by, by railroads, not take back. I said, you know, 5,000 Ardenner pieces. If I was in the command, I would ask. You. Thank, you.
0: Thank you very much, MP. Uh, Mike check. Can people hear me? Yes perfect uh anti then blue
6: yes hi uh, uh there was a mention that uh, there would be a gentleman from uh, kazakhstan uh appearing
2: on this space uh, yeah, earlier on in the day and... you be here if um... see the thing is i don't know his name but you know who you are if you're here uh then just jump straight up and uh, we will we will we will talk to you as well as Madi. Uh, who I'm sure will jump up if you jump up. I forget who, what your name is, but Jingu arranged you to be uh, to be around with us right now. Um, I think it might be getting a bit close to noon Eastern, however, and we'll be having Sergei Suleni on at noon Eastern. Uh, that is in half an hour's time. Uh, who's, a, who's a scheduled guest speaker. Sorry about that, Antti. We kind of all forgot, but I didn't think he ever came up. Uh, also, I had some tech difficulties about an hour ago. Had to uh, put my phone in the freezer again. Um, what I just want to remind everyone is that Gunny's still doing his thing. He's still getting tattooed for charity. If you want to donate to Maria Aid and add the word Gunny in the appropriate box then um, he's going to have to suffer more. He's going to get recorded suffering live on June 29th. Maybe, maybe it won't be broadcast live. Maybe you'll have to see a recording. I'm not sure about the details. But anyway, that's the thing. Oh, apparently, uh, Jingu says that'll be tomorrow, not today. I'm sorry about that. So Kazakhstan uh, stuff in about 23 hours from now, 22 hours from now. There we go. Uh, thank you so much. Um, you know who you are them thanking for the information. Okay, uh, let's carry on with... Antti, Did you have something else? If you do, uh, go for it. Otherwise, we're going to go on to Bloke, and then I think Constantine
0: probably wants to talk to you. No, too. that was my point. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Auntie, and Bloke. Bloke, you're up, sir. Can you hear us? Bloke, you are unreadable. Yeah, we can tell you are making some kind of noise, but you sound like you're talking to me from about across the soccer field. Okay,
8: is it working now? Yes, my it guess? is. Yes,
0: sir all right um twitter again i
8: i really enjoyed the conversation this morning and and uh, uh comments about dealing with the government which i've had the pleasure of doing in the past and getting paid up front um we have been talking a lot about the uh, manufacturing capacity and I, I think the point was just made like 10 minutes ago but um, really, the Russians are in far worse shape when it comes to manufacturing. So, it, I mean, if if there's a race, there's no contest. And the other thing that we have to keep in mind is inventory and inventory stocks that actually work. Um, so in terms of that, I mean... Even today, uh, I don't know if it's been mentioned here before, but uh, Germany managed to get something done, um, shockingly. Apparently, uh, the Panzer Halbitzers uh, or uh, uh, 2000s are in Ukraine as we speak, seven of them. Let's keep them coming. But I, I'm confident in um, um, the Western um, ability to step up to manufacturing and keep Ukraine supplied. And I think all those points were made before I before I, uh, people rolled around to me. So uh, uh, thank you very much for the discussion.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Bloke. Uh, do any of our other new speakers wish to speak? We have some people trying to request to come up. I've
2: got a question for you, Finance, that was uh, sent in to me a, a bit ago.
0: If I'm lucky, I'll have an answer. Good. So,
2: da, da, da. okay. Uh, sorry, it's a bit It's a bit hard to find. Okay. Okay. Uh, the question is not very well stated, and the, the question I should not to, to state it better, but um, banking industry, those who do deals with shipping companies are becoming increasingly worried that Greek shipping companies are helping the Russians export various things such as oil. So what can you say about that? I think it's said pretty broadly. Yeah,
0: sure. So one a uh FOA, you're going to have to put your mic on mute or I'm going to have to drop you down, sir. Raise your hand. It's on the heart button if you wish to speak, and we will call you in turn. Welcome to the Walter Report. All right. Um, So one of the things is that Greece is the headquarters for huge numbers of shipping company due to their maritime laws and traditions. Um, So it's sort of incorrect to say that Greece as a country is doing a lot of things when it comes to transporting stuff, because it's more true to say that if you run a shipping company, like you run a super tanker company, something like 80% of super tankers are headquarter flagged out of Greece. The number's insanely high. So it's less about Greece than country. Yes, my question
6: is... um,
0: Wagon, 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 wagon. We go and turn here? I heard, or I I read read recently
6: about sanctions on Russians gold.
0: All right. Wagon could not listen, and when you come up to speak, you are welcome. Anyone is welcome to come up. We take you in good uh, stead. But you need to uh, obey the rules of the space, which is to mute your mic, raise your hand, as our new speaker, Foa, uh, is doing. And you will press the little heart button, and there's a hand all the way on the right. I am happy to bring you up again, Wagon, if you are ready to uh, just obey that. Otherwise, everyone talks over each other, and nobody hears anything, and we can't have a productive talk. So, finishing the answer on Greece, it's not about Greece the country as a we're making a political stand helping uh, helping uh, Russia. It's more about Greece the country says, "Hey, we do maritime business, so everybody puts their flag in Greece that runs a ship." So, insofar as euro sanctions are or are not allowing shipping, that's going to affect all these boats. It just happens to be the fact that like eighty percent of them are, are headquartered out of Greece. So it's less a story about Greece and just more a story about shippers and tanking and oil being transported out of Russia. So Greece isn't really the story here outside of the fact that, hey, this is a business for them. And good for Greece. They need all the business they can get. Um, FOA, you are up, sir. Afternoon, all. Uh,
9: I work for a small medium enterprise in the U.K. Um, We're an engineering firm we sell bits and pieces to those tier ones you were talking about earlier um now a lot of british industry has capacity the thing we're struggling with is getting materials from the mills especially american uh, specified uh, metals um we're asking various engineering firms to do concessions just because we can't actually get the materials on the drawings
0: can you be specific as to what kind of materials you're struggling with? I'm really curious. Oh,
9: various forms of aluminium and steel. Is,
0: is that because they are rare to find in mine, uh, or is the, uh, or is that because it's hard to manufacture them? Right in the middle? No,
9: it, demand. Demand has gone through the roof. So uh, we're 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 in a waiting we're in a, a queue behind everyone else, and uh, yeah, we're we're struggling.
0: Um, okay. Uh, out of curiosity, what other kinds of uh, equipment uses these metals? Is this are you competing with cars? Are you competing with Teslas? Are you, like, what are you competing? No, with? I, I, th- I think I think we're
9: I think we're competing with similar companies. Or um, well, I suppose some of them could be going into some machine tools, but I think most of it's for aviation and defense materials.
0: So, in other words, the backlog is all the way through the supply chain to the uh, steel mills that need to be pumping out more uh, exactly. metals for, for this, this space.
9: Yeah, obviously we could get our, our metals from certain countries, but we don't trust their mill certs. if you see what I mean. Not, 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 not every mill cert is accurate on the composition of the material as it states on the certificate, shall we say
0: sure which which countries do you think have have good uh good trustworthy mills that you uh, like to use
9: europe italy um once upon a time ukraine america um basically we we avoid china
0: i mean that that would make sense also having china in your uh defense supply chain seems a little uh worrying
9: well no we don't but that's, that's that that's not because uh we didn't want them there, we just wouldn't trust their materials. We've 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 come let's put it this way, we've we've had issues in the past. But as for the capacity for the engineers in the UK, I think there's plenty. We're running one shift, we have when push comes to shove we run three shifts. Um so yeah, if we get the metals we can make it. Oh, and the
0: order. Got it. Okay, so, so, so the, the slack isn't at the, the manufacturers at your level it's behind you and in the orders ahead of you that's the gist exactly that i just thought i'd share that with you guys no i i appreciate it as as the the finance and business guy i always like knowing where the the bottlenecks and slack in the system are um granted i also give financial updates and i do it at night so i can put everyone to sleep in the u.s who listens to the wall for Don't say I that. Guess.
4: It's Typically, very exciting. It's fi- and it's absolutely useful. And thank you for, for coming
0: through. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Philip. Thanks, Philip. Um, finance, come uh, come speak anytime. I appreciate your input. Uh, really, okay. really like what you had to offer. Uh, do we have well, anything else? Was all I the got.
2: Can? Questions for you, Finance. I got questions for you. I may. Question, even have- you may even have answers. Question from the audience. Can uh, I ask when the Kremlin's ability to prop up the ruble is likely to fail? Currently, the dollar is garbage against the ruble, like 57 rubles to one USD. Now, let's let's explain why and how the ruble is being propped up by moving money from one pocket to another. Sure.
0: So, so it's, it's actually one of the interesting things that I really like. Um, technically speaking, there is nothing to like about the war. It is a genocidal war. On an analytical side, I can appreciate some of the analysis that's going on in finance. And one of the, the nice, clean, analytical things is that macro, the basic principles of macroeconomics are applying to Russia. They are not some strange, weird country that economics does not apply to, which used to be the argument of the Soviet era. So right now, there are two main pressures that have propped up the ruble. First and foremost, the absolute big enchilada is they are able to sell oil and get a ton of cash in, and they're not able to buy stuff. That's been the effect of sanctions. We are not letting them buy the stuff they want to buy. Imports to Russia have gone down by 90%. And the imports to them are especially heavy in truck parts, machine parts, auto parts. Um, So this is things they need to run factories. Turns out their airplanes require a whole bunch of Western parts. uh, So they can't keep their factories running. Like, say, their tank factories, which are shut down in a war, Um, this You know, they're the things they might need to repair tanks, which is important when they're rolling out tanks that are, you know, 50 years old onto the battlefield. Uh, This is what the tankers call death traps. Uh, I'm not sad at all that Russians are in death traps, but this is the effect of you can't get your industrial machine up and running to support a more modern tank. So they're putting death traps on the battlefield. So but what's that doing to their economy? they're still, we're still buying oil. And when we, the Western Europeans and Americans aren't buying oil the Canadians, uh, the Chinese and the Indians are now buying oil. So they're getting cash in for that oil, but even the Chinese and Indians aren't selling them a bunch of weapons. We have yet to hear about a bunch of Chinese or Indian weaponry hitting the fields or anything like that. And that's, they have not gone there. So they're not able to buy what they really want to buy. So they have all this cash piling up euros, dollars might be yen. Um, because they'll take payment in whatever you want to pay them in. And uh, so this cash is piling up, but they can't spend it. Well, in macroeconomics, when your con- country has a big balance of trade surplus, your, your, the price of your currency goes up. So their currency is going up and getting a lot stronger. At the start of the war, their finance minister, when their currency initially tanked super hard, raised the rates through the roof to protect the currency from just completely disappearing but has pulled pretty much all of those back as of, I think, this week, or she's signaling one to pull it back to where it was when the war started. Because the problem that she's facing isn't that the ruble is falling apart weak. The ruble is stronger than before the start of the war. But that's not what you want when your domestic economy is, as I pointed out earlier, looking at a result between the Great Recession of the U.S. to the Great Depression of the U.S. and Europe of the 20s 20s and 30s, within the next year, right? So they have a terrible economy. Their internal inflation is high. So the price of products for rubles for citizens going up at the same time as the ruble is strong, which hurts their ability to do domestic manufacturing, what little of it still exists for export. So the effect of their economy is really bad for a recessionary environment and they can't easily stop it because they still wanna sell oil because it's for them it's better than not selling oil in a certain sense. And for their leaders, who are all a bunch of corrupt assholes, uh, that's what lines their pockets. So what we've seen is the ruble is super strong, but it's not helping them. And it's strong because of these economic factors that are applying to Russia like a normal country. And they're applying in ways that say the Russian economy and the is in really deep trouble and it's going to be bad and keep getting worse and worse. So no, the sanctions are not doing everything I could have hoped and dreamed for, but they are doing quite a lot and hopefully they will continue and do more. And they're going to keep wreaking havoc and damage on their economy. Um, And, you know, if you're in Russia, you're currently getting the memo that the only industries up and running are smuggling and theft. That's not new war sadly also not new and i think uh, that's it. oh an oil extraction which itself is falling off a cliff because they just lost a lot of their western and foreign experts many of whom are trained in russia because they don't pay their guys domestically very well 300 a month is a good salary for a college-educated russian that's ridiculous for the west their colleges are are pretty good it's considered a solid degree take that degree Go get hired by a contractor in Ukraine, you know, go get hired. If you're an oil engineer from Russia, you get hired by a contractor anywhere else in the world. You're making literally 10, 20, 30 times the money and you're not a highly paid guy. You're just making decent money. So they've had this huge brain drain for 20 plus years. You can't reverse that right away. It's not like there's some great future awaiting for you in Russia. There's no agency there. So, yeah, their economy's is a mess. Uh, economics applies to the situation. Their economy is responding um, as you would expect when you realize where the money is moving to. And uh, the result is a pretty bad uh, economic situation and specifically a bad industrial situation. And that's the part that applies to them fielding more weapons. Unfortunately, as I keep asking the military analysts, they, one, uh, don't seem to be, have to stop producing dumb artillery And two, and more importantly, yes, they're shooting way more than they can produce, but they had stockpiles that go all the way back to the Soviet era, and all they really need is to put a trigger on it, and even if it's not a new one, they can just keep firing that crap. So, that's what we're seeing.
2: Thanks, Finance. And just let's clarify one point, right? So, when, um, like, in March, thereabouts the Russian central bank instituted the rule by which anybody bringing in lots of hard currency had to immediately sell the vast majority of it to the Russian central bank for rubles. So very simply, gas exports continued, oil exports continued, foreign currency was brought into the country, it had to immediately be sold to the Russian central bank for rubles because it the only place you could get all the rubles from, and it massively artificially inflated the demand for rubles. And that's why the ruble went up Plain and simple, but unlike normally it, when you know when a country tries to prop up its currency it didn't um, it didn't harm its position because it didn 't have to get rid of all of this hard currency by selling it away. They just literally took. Um, you know dollars from Gazprom bank which is a parastate entity anyway and just put it from one parastate pocket into the parastate pocket of the central bank they yeah, didn't uh, that one of the
0: crazy things is even if they don't do that the currency pressure is going to be upwards um right now if you're in Russia they're sort of unwinding a bunch of these things because they're they're realizing that um it's making their situation worse for the pressures they're actually facing now that the initial sh- shock and awe has worn off of their economy and the markets. Originally we thought you know Russia would sort of collapse and that's why you saw the market destroying the ruble. Now that the, the market expectation is sort of like this war is going to go on a while, um, the West is going to finance Ukraine because we have uh, moral spines and backbones, except for Olaf Scholz, who likes to lick Putin's boots, um, that Russia is going to be continued continually under sanctions for a long period of time, likely extending past this war, that these things are going to occur. Um, What you don't want to have happen if you're in Russia is really bad internal inflation, huge amounts of money coming into your country and no real way to sterilize that or like use that. So (laughs) they're, they're, they're unwinding a bunch of their earlier efforts and a lot of their things now are sort of trying to uh, do what they're best at doing is kleptocrats, stealing money from um, political enemies, people who in the West. Uh, if you're a Westerner, you can't sell your stocks in the stock exchange. One of the major financial things that was created, everyone thought would be so that Putin could like freeze all bank accounts. And when I looked under the hood, not really he could change that he could sort of like freeze classes, which I thought may or may not be used to try to like, get people to stop deserting from the army when they're not technically at war according to them but the hilarious thing is buried in all of that was a special law allowing people designated by putin to start trading on the market an hour before the market opens Uh, in the west we call that front running and it's massively illegal Uh, in russia they call it here you go mr oligarch you can front run the market because you're putin's friend so they actually in the middle of all of that added an extra like way of being corrupt in russia because they weren't corrupt enough, they just had to get that little extra corruption cherry on top. But yeah, so so even all the moving from pocket A to pocket B stuff they were doing doesn't like change the fact there's a spigot of money coming in and they can't buy stuff going out, and they're probably going to loosen more of that. Probably you know generally in the hopes that like they can get their their companies will get the money out and be able to buy things that the government won't because the further you get away from the war machine, the more that people will. Uh, hold their nose and do business with Russia unless they're Chinese, in which case they like genocide and they'll just do business with Russia. So that's what I'm saying.
2: Thanks, Finance. Okay, we have about six, seven minutes before we get Sergei Sinanian. Therefore, we shall not take any more new speakers because uh, it's going to be very difficult to get through everyone in that time. Let's go to G, let's go to Ian, and then we're going to clear the space for Sergei
10: anyway. G. Thank you, Doman. I'll be quick. My question is for finance. I remember in the early, maybe the first month of the war, um, Russia did some sort of fixing with the gold price where they fixed the gold um, price in rubles of some 20 percent, I think, below the dollar gold price. Um, And I haven't heard anything about it since. And I was very interested. I thought at the time I remember thinking that would have, you know, big knock on effects. Is this still in effect? with any takers? How did that go? It, it
0: wasn't. It wasn't quite a fixed price. It was like a guaranteed purchase by the Russian government. It looked like they might be trying to do. It looked like a emergency possibility that that I thought they could then push forward if they wanted to try to like shore up their their thing. But quite frankly, gold always gets extra news because there's so many people who make their their business as gold bugs and sell stuff. But, like, you would rather own a euro than gold because if I want to do something corrupt, I can, like, hand a pile of euros over to the Chinese a lot more easily than I can hand them a gold bar to sell me something or the Indians or anybody else or Kazakhstan. So, yeah, I didn't really hear anything. Uh, quite frankly, that's the kind of thing that they're sort of unwinding. Uh, it wasn't a forcibly required, like, theft or even anything as extreme as, like, when the U.S. said they wouldn't take their... their. Uh, their dollars anymore so yeah we haven't heard anything because quite frankly i thought it was uh it, it 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 hasn't really moved that direction and the issues they're having are sort of the opposite from what they had early on after that sort of initial shock wore off uh, i would like to note what a listener just sent me because it's hilarious that uh russia is trying to maintain their AAA credit rating for the corruption agencies that they want to have that 100 percent perfect corruption rating and uh, yes, uh, I will be starting here. Finances, corruption rating. Uh, and I want to be very clear that the first rating is going to the nation, the Federation of Russian States. And they earn my first AAA rating for being the most possibly corrupt country I can can theoretically design. You bunch of fucking assholes. You are a corrupt nation. Uh, and our final speaker before our great host comes up, Mr. Ian. Nick, uh, Mr. Ian, you're up, sir. Yeah, I've got two questions.
10: Uh, One you semi-answered before, um, and that's basically they've artificially made the price very high, but because they sell all their stuff in US-denominated, no, uh, like uh, oil and gas, whatever's all on American, that means they're actually getting less rubles for it, therefore it's actually probably gone too far and it's now actually quite bad for them. And the second question is uh, general economics. And that's like if a country has got 20 percent deflation and it shrinks by about 15 percent, does that mean it's like productivity has gone down 30 percent? I've never quite got the relation with, um, you know, like inflation. Does, does that contract it in real terms? If you see what I mean? uh,
0: yeah, so that 15 is, percent is real GDP contraction. Um, And again, the the rate is now 17. I think the floor is the 17% prediction from the Russian central bank. And the ceiling is now something closer to that. Well, the ceiling is anything, but I think it's the floor is now 15, 17% from the Russian central bank up to 30% of the uh, Goldman Sachs prediction. That is a horror show. One year numbers that is as bad as you can like, that's that is unspeakably awful numbers, especially when, as pointed out uh, by many other people, not you know, brighter than me, when the year started, they were supposed to have a growing economy. So, that's you know, we're talking about them losing all of the economic uh, growth they've had in the last like 10, 15, 15, 20 years by the end of a year or two. Like that's the kind of ways to think about this. If you were asking a slightly different question and I missed it, I apologize. So, so by all means, restate. If I answer, answer the wrong question,
10: um, it's more um, general economics in that inflation. Um, does if you've got inflation of twenty percent and zero percent growth, does your economy shrink by twenty percent in reality? I'm right. Yeah. So
0: Right. When 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 we say real GDP. When you use the term "real" in finance, that is inflation-adjusted. So GDP growth and and restrictions or real GDP growth would mean growth after inflation. A negative real GDP print would mean your country shrinking after inflation. So that number already takes into account the inflation. So if your inflation's my check,
5: You're good. Uh, right.
0: Yeah, I had a spam call. All right. So if your inflation is fifteen percent and your real GDP growth is 5%, then the nominal growth rate was 20%. If your inflation is 15%, and your real GDP growth rate is negative 17%, because you're the AAA corruption-rated Russia, then your nominal growth rate was negative 2%, uh, give or take. The math works a little funky because of percentages, but yeah, so the nominal growth rate is negative uh, 2%, but the real uh, the real growth rate, if you will, would be negative 17% in that case. So that's how it's added up. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah, never quite got that. <laughs> no, that is that is a perfectly good question. That is absolutely taking care. So when you hear economists, or, you know, people talk about economics, use the term real, real is the word that means we've already thought about inflation. The term nominal means we have not thought about inflation. That's what those two keywords mean when you're listening to people talk about economics and inflation. All righty, let's uh, just uh, highlight one thing. Uh, first and foremost, thank
2: you very much, uh, Finance, for joining up and uh, carrying the
4: the hour. Uh, it's always good to and we talk about actually markets in this context because it matters a great deal. Supply, logistics, and money helps win
2: wars. Sometimes it is the make or break condition for wars. And as to supplies and logistics, just a few things. Late, but they have arrived. The German howitzers, the Panzer of 2000, have arrived in theater. yoohoo if only there were 50 more of them. But still, as a friend of our wonderful space has said, Nuno Felix, oh boy, these hurt, and they will. And the Ukrainians, according to all what we've heard from our friends in Germany, who have trained them, Um, the Ukrainians are exceptionally adept
3: at using them, so let's hope that um, they send a few presents to the Russian side. And whilst we're on the left